When people ask me if I went to film school, I tell them no, I went to films. A little movie quote action from the great Quentin Tarantino to kick off today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Thursday, August 20th, 2020, a marvelous late summer day here in West Michigan. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, here to guide you through today's buffet of cinematic offerings. Uh, Evan Dean is either invisible or he's gotten tired of doing the podcast for the fourth time in its short existence. But uh, everyone's favorite archer, Mike Nichols, is here. Why? Because he's dedicated, folks. Mike's. Mike's. Well, there's two of you, I guess, now. Mike, thanks for showing up. And furthermore, thanks for following up on your lost bet and watching sorry to bother you how are you today sir ah i am very well sir it's good to hear your voice it's been a while since we've recorded um since that time people i just want to let you know i have been doing the hbo max trial which has now just turned into me doing a month of hbo max and i have consumed a lot of hbo in the last couple of weeks like it was a hardcore marathon to get through both seasons of succession perry mason and american pickle uh i powdered or and i went through chernobyl as well but i powered through and uh yeah i'm excited to finally talk about all these uh great films and tv shows with you guys so is the hbo max uh trial that's turned into a month is it gonna turn into a a full-time thing here you seem like you're getting addicted it it might it might i'm currently on I i also finished the last season of veep which veep is one of my favorite comedy shows and i never got to see the final season but i finally finished that and then now I'm on The Leftovers, which is this incredible supernatural drama about a world catastrophe. And it kind of feels very appropriate for 2020. <laughs> so I'm on that right now. I've got other people telling me different things I should watch. I know you want me to watch uh, the David Simon drama about... Um, the Plot Against uh, America. The, yeah, The Plot Against America. So I'm going to try to get to that one too. But yeah, HBO Max, it might be worth it, you guys. Go check it out. I think it is. I've been enjoying it uh, quite a bit been watching a lot of stuff on there um so yeah mike uh, i mentioned sorry to bother you uh we had a little bet um a couple weeks or a couple months ago uh for whoever won our disney character draft uh would would have would get to pick a film that both you and and evan uh would have to watch uh evan uh, i don't think he's watched it yet he's a slacker as i've already said but but did you enjoy sorry to bother you as much as i did i did I thought it was very, very clever. It did a great job of like making certain emotions or certain kind of uh, verbal jokes become physical realities. Had a great message, and I really just thought it was a well done, uh, very zany and crazy, but good movie. I gave it an A minus. Yeah, it's like you think you're watching like one kind of movie, you know, like for an hour and like 15 minutes, and then. You know, it's it's kind of normal, but it takes place in like this alternative Oakland. So like as you're watching it, everything just feels like kind of like a little bit off. And then once you hit like the 120, 130 minute mark of the movie, it goes an entirely different direction. And uh, needless to say, it's a, it's definitely an original movie. <laughs> Also, just major props to I, I hope I don't say his name wrong, but is it Lakeith Stanfield, the main actor? Yep. My my God, the range that that guy has as a performer is just incredible. Like his acting skills are just sick. He's he was awesome in this movie, and like I've seen him in multiple things now, and he might be one of my favorite up and well, I don't know if up and coming's fair, but he might be one of my favorite actors for this new generation. He's awesome. 
Agreed. Well, Mike, I appreciate you, you know, at least following through with your end of the bargain and watching the movie. Uh, glad you got to check it out. I think more people need to see it. Sorry to bother you. Uh, look it up if you can. Uh, anyways. Evan. Yeah, Evan. Evan, you got to watch it, bud. Looking at you, Evan. Looking at you. <laughs> anyways. Listening at you, Evan. <laughs> coming up on today's show, Mike uh, already sort of touched on it, but we'll be reviewing several titles. Uh, as Mike said, he he recently received the golden ticket into the chocolate factory that is HBO Max. And he's been feverishly watching uh, pretty much everything it has to offer. Uh, So that's coming up here soon. Please join the conversation about movies by liking the Second Day Film podcast on Facebook and following us on Twitter at Second Day Film. You can check out our previous episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. And if you could please give us a, a rating or review wherever you're listening, that would very much be appreciated as well. Anyways, let's get into it. Busy show today. Uh, Mike has the smorgasbord. Oh, geez, I suck at saying that word. And Mike has a train going by again. Uh, but Mike, tell us about Perry Mason. Uh, I know you were, this is something you were really excited to watch. I haven't been able to, uh, you know, get to it quite yet. Um, but the plot summer on IMDb. In booming 1932 Los Angeles, a down and out defense attorney takes on a case of a lifetime. Uh, looks like Matthew Rees plays Perry Mason, Juliet Rylance, Chris Chalk, Shay Wingham, Tatiana Mislani, John Lithgow's in this, Stephen Root, love him, he's funny, Robert Patrick uh, makes an appearance, so uh, decent cast here, some of these actors I don't know a whole lot about, but but Mike, uh, what did you think of Perry Mason? So I, I should start off by saying that a lot of people know Perry Mason from the 1950s show with Raymond Burr, which has arguably one of the best intro theme musics ever to a TV show. And this this new version, it definitely tries to draw back on the original Perry Mason noir roots from some of the earlier books that were written by Earl Stanley um, Gardner. Um, but uh this one also sometimes tries to push so far into making sure you remember, hey, we're not your dad's Perry Mason. We're like the new cool HBO Perry Mason with, you know, neon noir and nudity and a child kidnapping. Like it, it sometimes tries a little too hard to push to like make sure you remember that it's edgy Perry Mason. It's HBO-ified. Which- <laughs> Yeah, which I'm not sure it really needs to do with Perry Mason because it's like, you know, I'm not even, I don't think the books were like, I've never read the books, but it's like you re- you, you read the summaries of the books and you're like, I don't think the books were like this. Um, but yeah, this newer Perry Mason is actually set a little earlier. Uh, he was a World War One veteran and now he is um, I, not, a, not a lawyer this time just yet. He's like a private eye, kind of down on his luck and you know, searching for these cases that the, the cops can't solve, man. And now uh, this dame came to see me. Like, you know, it's 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 kind of set in that noir time frame, but it does look gorgeous. The cinematography is incredible. They really capture noir lighting. Um, uh, yeah, someone even does say the line, this case is getting to you. I'm like, oh, this is so noir. They're just, they're doing a great <laughs> noir tribute right now. Um, so, yeah, like in terms of like doing a really good noir, they do it well. The problem is, it doesn't really feel like it's about Perry Mason or like any of the things that make Perry Mason like in some ways Perry Mason. Like, you know how when Ridley Scott did Robin Hood in two thousand like ten, mm-hmm. and it was like the story that was kind of about a medieval archer who has a bow, and one time he shoots people when he's in the woods, and one time he did steal something, and 
he's pretending to be, but it's like none of this really. And he's fighting the French on the beach. Like it just, it was like, oh, that's a movie that's called Robin Hood, but it doesn't really feel like it's about one the story of Robin Hood or really even the main guy. Like it feels like we're following all these other characters. Mike said Robin you know Hood I mean? drink. <laughs> yeah but perry mason kind of feels like that like it's it's called perry mason and it's technically about a guy who becomes a lawyer and it's set in the 30s but you know it doesn't really feel like it's a a, a big legal drama it just kind of feels like they're doing a noir thing and slapping a, a known brand on it um all the other characters too are rewritten to be very much like almost modern and modern perspectives on the time. So uh, Paul Drake is, is a black police officer and he's like experiencing racism. Uh, very interesting take on the character. Um, and Della street is like, you know, uh, she's a, a secret like lesbian who was engaged to um, the guy who's normally the, uh, like the main like legal uh, barb of, of Perry Mason Hamilton Burger, but he's also like secretly gay, and so they kind of have this thing. So they're they're adding a lot of like modern kind of like perspectives on it, which is fine, but it doesn't really feel like it has anything to do with Perry Mason. Is kind of what I would say. I mean, I think we need more representation in that stuff. So I think that was good. And I thought Della and Paul were honestly the two most interesting characters, and I loved them. Um, and they were fun to watch, uh, but Perry Mason himself as a character didn't actually feel as likable as they did. Hmm. Um, the acting was good. Uh, what else? Um, well, I hear it. I hear it. So I, one thing I've heard about this show, um, and you sort of touched on it is that I've heard, you know, consistently quote that it's dripping in style, uh, which for me yeah. personally would be something that I'm really intrigued because I love, uh, Noir. I love. Uh, there used to be a video game called L.A. Noir. I don't know if you ever played that, but it was one of my favorite mm-hmm. games. Uh, I just I love everything about that era of Los Angeles. Changeling with Angelina Jolie is one of my one of my favorite movies. I think it's somewhat underrated. Uh, I've also heard the world building, and that kind of goes along with you know the style of the show um, is really cool. One thing I, I found interesting is 1.7 million viewers across all platforms. That's more than Watchmen or The Outsider, which recently came out. It's the strongest of any HBO series for two years. Um, and considering all the hype Watchmen got and also The Outsider had some good buzz, considering it was a, a Stephen King, um, you know, you know, adaptation. Uh, surprising to me that that Perry Mason has been, you know, getting this this much reception and, and you know, a lot of excitement for this show, Mike. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised. One, everything is going to probably be more watched right now because we're in pandemic and everyone's shut inside watching stuff. Two, legal dramas are pretty popular across the board. People have always liked those. Three, Perry Mason's a pretty popular brand. Four, HBO is a great respected brand. And I'm sure it just felt like a match in heaven. And yeah, the noir is great. Um, the story is very good. I really loved like uh, the way they did Della and Paul. I thought they were great. Perry himself as a character, like he eventually becomes like the Perry Mason lawyer by the end, but uh, the whole getting there didn't feel as enjoyable as um, maybe it should have. I'm looking forward to season two, though. I think they've set up a lot of good things, and I'm excited to see where they go with it. Um, it's not your dad's Perry Mason, and sometimes they like really try to remind you of that. But overall, like it's going to be an interesting uh, new take on this character, and I'm I'm looking forward to season two. I give this uh, I give it a B plus. Awesome. That's a B plus for Perry Mason available now on HBO max. Um, so we'll just, 
power right along here. Um, I have not, uh, I mean, I've been watching HBO Max, but a lot of older shows. I'm, I'm actually only two episodes away from finishing The Sopranos. Uh, so I'm getting excited to to see this ending that everyone is so up in arms about. Um, I've, I've successfully avoided the spoilers uh, throughout the entire run of watching this. So excited to see that. But I have been watching a lot of movies. I've made an effort to see a lot of the movies that came out in theaters in 2020 and have since been released on DVD. And one of those movies that I was really excited to watch was uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Sonic, of course, for anyone who you know grew up in the '90s or uh, you know in the in the late '80s, you know he's known for the video games, the Sega. Uh, the, I, I'm a huge Sonic fan from back in the day. The first gaming system I ever had was a Sega Genesis. Uh, I loved running around with that little blue guy. Uh, uh, collecting r- rings and and uh, doing you know crazy little speeding around loop de loops and I always thought it was lots of fun so I've always had a, a great affinity for the character. Uh, this movie is directed by Jeff Fowler in his feature uh, film directorial debut. The plot summary on IMDb. After discovering a small blue fast hedgehog, a small town police officer must help him defeat an evil genius who wants to do experiments on him. Ben Schwartz voices Sonic. James Marsden plays the lead, uh, uh, the, the sheriff, Tom. Jim Carrey is Dr. Robotnik, his arch enemy. Tika Sumter plays Maddie and Storm Reed. Uh, oh, sorry, not Storm Reed. I'm thinking about the Invisible Man, not scratch that. Uh, but anyways, that's the main cast. I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was going to be terrible. I thought it was going to be, you know, somewhat boring. You know, video game adaptations are notorious for being somewhat uh, trite and not great. Um, This one wasn't bad. I think it was really anchored by Jim Carrey. uh, Sort of a flashback performance for Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. He's channeling. uh, He's crazy. He's outlandish. He's brilliant, but eccentric. He's a character with a zany personality and a wild beard. And Jim Carrey is very clearly channeling those cartoony performances from back in the day, a la The Mask or Ace Ventura or Liar, 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 which is really sort of the roles that, you know, made Jim Carrey Jim Carrey. And I think by doing this in sort of a family film, it really allows him to shine. And it really looks like he's having a ton of fun. Um, So I thought Jim Carrey was great. Ben Schwartz does a nice job as Sonic. Uh, it's a very simplistic story. Uh, this Sonic it's, it's leans a little bit too heavily on visual cliches. It's very much a film for kids. The jokes are really juvenile. The comedy isn't really that clever. It feels like it's made for eight year olds, but you know what? That's okay. If it's a movie about an animated hedgehog, uh, who I should mention went through extensive redesigns before this film was released and it was actually delayed because people were so up in arms of what Sonic looked like. Um, but that's okay. If you're going for a family film, um, you know, I, I think it's okay if the film is a little bit juvenile, we don't need everything to be super serious. So, um, Oh, I got a few more thoughts, but Mike, uh, Sonic, uh, you know, I, I don't think this is one you were really that interested in seeing, but did you ever play the Sonic video games or do you have any, sort of relationship with this little blue guy uh sorry to disappoint you uh listeners no i never really played sonic as a kid i knew what it was and i'd seen other people play it but i didn't really have video games i do have to like ask though like do you think that sonic is maybe an interesting new step in how films are developed because when this 
like trailer came out i remember the mass criticism like it was just ridiculous how much people hated on the sonic design and it led them to like changing it all up Mm -hmm. and actually redoing the entire animation of a main character in a film like that's (laughs) that's pretty rare in film history for that to happen that a trailer forces you to redo everything about the main character in a movie before you release it do you think that like this kind of set the standard that uh maybe from now on they're gonna test trailers and and bring the audience into the creative process more as it's getting developed to get it like pitch perfect right for what audiences want i don't know if it's setting the standard but i do think we're starting to see a shift like where you know when social media was first you know developing you know people would start pushing back or there would be outrage over something or people wouldn't like it and i think the filmmakers the creators the powers that be were just kind of like well we don't care this is how we're doing it more and more i think we're starting to see the power of social media and the, and, the, and the way that strong, um, you know, outrage or strong opinions or, you know, a, a large majority of vocal opinions can sort of shape the way or change things. I mean, movies always do test screenings. That's nothing new. They've always tested out on audiences. Um, but, you know, to actually go back and redesign a character, I think it was really smart by the filmmakers because when they came back with the new design and made him look much more like the video game character, um, and now you see it on screen, and this movie has been fairly well received and has been an overall success uh, to the point where they're looking at sequels now. So uh, I do think that maybe we are seeing to see a shift in terms of, you know, people seeing something and be like, no, we hate it. I mean, the. the the opinion must have been so unanimous on this that the filmmakers were like, okay, we have to do something for this because if we're not appeasing the fans of Sonic, then what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, re- the redesign looked way better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm glad they did it, but it is interesting to like think how much effect now the trailer and the audience reaction to it can have on the film's development. Um, this is a very interesting case. This will be an interesting case study someday. Yeah. So as far as the film, I, I think there's some cool stuff done with, you know, it's it's a largely CGI film. Sonic himself is a CGI character, of course. Um, but there's some cool stuff done here. I mean, there, there's the, Sonic obviously has super speed. There are certain scenes where he sort of uses his his time stopping powers like uh, like Quicksilver, the, the uh, X-Man, um, who mm-hmm. can go really quick and they sort of do like the bullet time slow it down where there's a rooftop scene near the end where he Robotnik fires a bunch of missiles and they're playing like seventies music and Sonic is running around, turning all the missiles around towards Jim Carrey. And uh, there's a scene when robot Robotnik is in his, his uh, trailer and he's got like an evil plotting montage where he's just dancing around and it's like a choreographed dance, dance sequence that just breaks out. And he's just feeling all clever and proud of himself by how evil he is. It's just quintessential Jim Carrey just doing his thing. He looks like he's having so much fun uh, in this. And then this movie also has some heart. I mean, we're dealing with a, a CGI hedgehog from outer space, but you know, (laughs) we find out that Sonic is, you know, through this, he's lonely. He, he wants a family. He doesn't have any friends. He sort of watches humans and, and, uh, James Marsden's character from afar and he sort of idolizes him, but he doesn't ever get to meet him. And it, it really makes you empathize, em- oh geez, empathize with Sonic. You know, you want him to find a home and you want him to find a place where he can be himself and have a family. 
And I think it's interesting because, you know, he's Sonic. He's always running at super speeds, trying to get to the next place and as quickly as possible. And at the beginning of the movie, he wants to get somewhere else because he thinks that's what he's supposed to do. When in reality, he just needs to slow down, maybe even stop. And and, and that's tough for Sonic to stop and realize he doesn't need to go anywhere because he's already home. So this this movie does have some nice heart to it. As I said, it's lots of fun. And at the very end of the mid credit scene, we get Tails to show up, uh, who is Tails is his buddy. She's like a like a extraterrestrial squirrel who also has superpowers. And she shows up in a mid credit scene. So I think that leaves the door open for a fun sequel. So overall, I think this is just a fun, simple, harmless, nostalgic ride uh, that families can enjoy together. And I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Well, next up in the line of succession of films is uh, more of Mike's favorite shows on HBO Max, or at least I'm assuming so. Uh, It is Succession. Uh, This is a show that has gotten quite a bit of buzz. Succession follows a dysfunctional American global media family. It stars an impressive cast led by Brian Cox, Kieran Culkin, Sarah Snook, Jeremy Strong, um, Matthew McFadden, Alan Ruck. So uh, good cast here. Uh, Mike, this is another thing you just uh, binged. I've never gotten or I haven't gotten to it yet. I would like to. I've had some family members that have watched it and recommended it. But uh, what did you think of Succession? I absolutely love this show so much. It's so good. It's so funny. It's got such powerful drama. This is a show where HBO basically said, hey, why don't we do a really dark comedy satire about the Murdoch family, but as if it was King Lear. And (laughs) it's genius. So, yeah, it, it follows this family. Um, every single person in this is cast so perfectly. I cannot even imagine other people playing these roles. That's how much they nail it. And that's how much they encompass it. Um, there's a lot of award darlings in this that, you know, they've, they've got a lot of Emmy nominations and golden globes. Um, um, man, Kieran Culkin and Matthew McFadden, Sarah Snook, Jeremy Strong, and my God, Nicholas Braun out of just nowhere. This guy is just hysterically like, perfect so yeah like what this show does really really well is it does have all that kind of like you know family political intrigue drama of who's gonna be like the one to come out on top it's kind of like you know what we all enjoyed about game of thrones but yet it throws out all these really relevant modern experiences that kind of bring it closer to home and uh, the drama and the comedy in this, the way they kind of flow in and out of each other are just incredible. The writing is so good. Um, a show like Veep is really, it's a comedy first, which leads into a moment of a very dark satire and, and almost drama of, hey, this is what America looks like. Succession almost kind of inverts it in a really powerful way, where first and foremost, it feels like a drama, but then the characters themselves are so, like, pathetic and like desperate and conniving that like as it as the drama gets heightened so too does the humor to the point where what should feel like oh it's about to come to a really dramatic climax all of a sudden just turns into a person just being completely and hilariously pathetic and awkward and it's got like that kind of office cringe humor in there 
where just the like the horribleness of real life is being played before your eyes so like just miserably and it's hysterical um i have a lot of respect for this show and how it like you know explores the dynamics of an abusive rich family like kind of the the emptiness of wealth and fame and i just cannot say enough good things about the actors in this they are just phenomenal um this this is this is going to be a very special show as it keeps going on i really hope i'm very excited for more seasons well, as you mentioned, a lot of love uh, from the Primetime Emmy Awards, Outstanding Drama Series, Cox and Strong, both nominated for Outstanding Lead Actor, Nicholas Braun, Kieran Culkin, Matthew McFadden for Supporting Actor, Sarah Snook for Outstanding Supporting Actress, uh, Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series, Outstanding Direction, uh, Guest Actor James Cronwell, Cherry Jones, Harriet Walter, all nominated, Outstanding Casting. I mean, this thing is cleaning up, Mike. I, I want to tell everyone, too, just keep your eye on Greg. Cousin Greg, man, like since the beginning, there, like you just you can feel something about him growing into this successful character. I think he's the true danger and the one to watch. Uh, this uh, the one of the best relationships in the show is uh, Matthew McFadden and Nicholas Braun's characters. Tom is the husband of uh, the the one of the main children of Brian Cox, who's like you know the patriarch of the family. His his three kind of main kids that you're following are um, Sarah Snook's character Shiv. Uh, Jeremy Strong is the eldest son, Kendall, and then uh, Kieran Culkin as Roman, who's just hilariously irreverent. But then Sarah Snook, her husband, uh, is Matthew McFadden, Tom. He has a relationship with cousin Greg, who's this Nicholas Brom kid. And man, like the two of them are just so dysfunctional and like he bullies him, but he's also like trying to bring him up. And like when it push comes to shove, he actually does defend him. And then the next moment he's like, like hurling bottles at him abusively and Greg, Greg is like trying to blackmail him and apologizing for it. Like, I'm really sorry. Look, I don't want to have to do it, but like, like, you know, I kind of have to like, it's, it's so, so hilarious. Um, I, I don't know. Ah, I, I, man, I, I, is this something you think you're going to be able to watch champ? Oh, it's on my list for sure. I mean, as you know, my list is massive. Um, but this review is making me want to bump it up. I mean, I, like I said, I'm almost done with The Sopranos, so I do plan on sliding something into uh, the queue, uh, as we like to call it. Um, so this might have to be it based on your your review. It sounds like something you really are enjoying. Uh, is there a season well, three on the way? Season three is on the way. Um, and the way season two ends, like, oh, man, you have to have season three. Um, but I, I'll, one last thing I'll say, and I might actually post this. Someone did a really great um, succession, like video essay, all about the way succession uses words and the way words are never like fully used to actually express themselves. And, uh, the way that people just use words as constant diversions and as weapons. And it's got a, it's a fascinating video essay on how succession is a, a powerful show about the way it's written. So if you like smart writing, if you like really, um, subtle writing too, this is a great show for it. Um, I might actually post that on our on our page, that video essay. It's an inc- it's an incredible look at this show. Um, I give the show an A plus. I, I loved it. I can't wait for more. Wow. Wow. And that's at the Second Day Film Podcast if you want to see uh, that post. Uh, definitely sounds like something I'm going to have to check out. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Anyways, moving along to another film that I saw recently came out in 2020. And uh, Mike and Evan know uh, <laughs> I definitely enjoyed this movie a lot because I think I texted him four times telling him it's the best movie that I've seen so far it in did. 2020. It yeah, I can confirm uh, this is true. <laughs> it's The Invisible Man. It's directed by Lee Wanell. Uh, we'll just go with that. I'm, I'm not sure if that's uh, the proper pronunciation, but the plot summary on IMDb. When Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being haunted by somebody nobody can see. This movie is anchored by the incredible Elizabeth Moss. Uh, Oliver Jackson Cohen plays Adrian Griffin, although he's not really on scene that much. Harriet Dyer, Aldous Hodge, and Storm Reed, and Michael Dorman, their Storm Reed. Uh, I knew she was on here somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. uh, round out the supporting cast. This film is, of course, uh, loosely based on H.G. Wells' legendary 1897 book, The Invisible Man. Uh, this film originally was supposed to be part of the shared cinematic universe that Universal was putting together, their dark universe, uh, featuring all their classic movie monsters. Johnny Depp was attached to star in the title role. Uh, however, the plans for the dark universe were scrapped after that terrible Tom Cruise mummy movie uh, came out in 2017. And uh, I saw that movie and it, it was brutal. Uh, so it basically killed the dark universe idea. The studio then changed their plans to do uh, t- from the combined universe to just have individual storytelling movies, which, hey, that's fine. I feel like everyone's constantly trying to copy uh, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it turns out that's just not easy to copy there, Mike. So I think we're OK yeah. having these as one off movies, right? So basically, the the dark universe is doing what DC did, which is like, hey, our shared universe didn't work out so well. Let's just make a bunch of individual movies about these characters, but darker and grittier that aren't attached to anything. Pretty much. Yeah. Which, you know, I was excited about the idea of the dark universe. I think that was a smart idea. But, you know, if you can't pull it off, if you don't have execution, then I'm fine with pulling the plug on it. I'd rather have individual good movies. So um, it sounds, it sounds like we got one here. Tell me about it. We did. I mean, first and foremost, Elizabeth Moss is is just fantastic. I mean, if you've ever seen The Handmaid's Tale, that's not surprising to you. She's doing a lot of the same things sort of with her facial expressions uh, where she's just portraying distress and emotion. And there's a lot of close ups on her face. I mean, the, the camera just loves Elizabeth Moss. And I think Evan said in our group text, you know, quote, she gives me the creeps. And I think that says a lot about her as an actress because she's able to convey so much by doing so little. I mean, not, not, a, I'm not just sure anyone in Hollywood knows how to convey terror better than her you know i mean have you seen have you seen the handmaid's tale uh i've read the book and it was really really rough like it's a good incredible book it was just like oh man i just i don't know if i could watch a show about all that right now it's a little too too depressing yeah it's it's a little hits a little bit uh close to home actually an episode i just watched uh it's not really spoilerly to say but there's uh an episode that just watched where she sort of holes up in the boston globe and it's just abandoned. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't even want to know what happened to all the journalists, but it, yeah. it is a very disturbing world. Anyways, Elizabeth Moss. She, is she was, yeah, she was awesome in Mad Men. I, I love yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good. She's great, honestly. Um, and she sort of anchors this whole film because, you know, she's on screen in basically every scene. 
Um, outside of, you know, her performance, the film does a really good job of creating sort of like a disturbing and unsettling atmosphere um, in the way where it's shot and what, what Wanell's doing with the films, uh, the actual framing of the shots. You know, we, we get a lot of close up on Moss's face and then the camera will turn in the same one shot and give us sort of a, a first person view where we're looking out into a room and we can't see anything. But hello, this movie's called The Invisible Man. So he could be there. Adrian Griffin could be there. And then on the flip side, we get some, you know, far away distant shots of Cecilia walking. And it might appear that like someone is watching her. Um, so there's a lot of suspense built throughout the film which sort of uh, crescendos into the final confrontation and twist that we leave the movie with. Um, so I think this movie does a great job of creating an atmosphere. The music is solid. So, uh, I mean, I got a little bit more too, but Mike, I assume you want to see this if you're a fan of Elizabeth Moss. Uh, yeah, it sounds better than Hollow Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah is it remember what evan said in our group text he goes oh so it's a hollow man ripoff i'm like bro the invisible man's been around since 1897 yeah. buddy. Uh, which, hollow man is the invisible man ripoff which <laughs> is if anyone hasn't read it the hul's book uh, it's from 1897 but it is actually very good i, I have read it and I, I do recommend it um with this uh with this invisible man though that we are getting um i, I do have two questions one what do you feel is the theme of invisibility in this film because sometimes like oh i'm glad you asked yeah the whole (laughs) idea of invisibility gets used to represent different emotions or different like societal themes especially you know uh with this one uh and it's like an abusive sounds like an abusive ex like what would you say is like Uh the theme of invisibility for this for this version of hg wells immortal classic yeah, so you're you're uh, reading my mind there, Mike. So the classic H.G. Wells story, obviously written in 1897, this film does a great job of sort of updating that source material to set it in the modern era, specifically thematically, where it takes um, what is basically a surface level story about a misguided scientist who becomes invisible and sort of turns it into a smart story about how people can be manipulated and abused in harmful relationships you know, Cecilia is, is physically, and you know, we don't really see it. The first scene is her leaving Adrian, but so we don't really see that abuse, but it's very clear in the first scene, she's leaving in the middle of the night. She drugged him so she can get away with him. This is not a good situation for her. And even after he supposedly dies in quote fingers, uh, Cecilia is haunted by, you know, the memory of her relationship with Adrian and everyone around her is telling her she needs to move on. She needs to forget him because, He's dead. And by hanging on to the memory of him, she's letting him control and manipulate her even after death. Of course, this is all happening while she's seeing clues that he is still alive. And he's sort of subtly leaving clues to know to get in her head and make her go crazy and that he is, in fact, still stalking her. So to answer your question, I think there's a lot to be said about how, you know, isolated and alone people feel when they're in an abusive relationship like this. And in this movie, it's represented literally on screen by the fact that her tormentor is invisible to everyone else. Um, So it's very clearly, um, you know, trying to draw attention in sort of a supernatural way to the struggle that people can go through when they feel like they're trapped and they feel like there's no way out in a relationship like this. Um, So I, I really thought that that was a really smart way to update the film in sort of bring it full circle into 2020. Um, So there's a lot of really memorable scenes in this movie outside from thematically uh, from a thematic standpoint, 
you know, one in particular that sticks out is a scene where Adrian, you know, like attacks her in the mental hospital and he's massacring all these security guards in the hallway. And we see them just getting the, the crap beat out of them and killed by this invisible malevolent force. And it's just, it's really, really cool looking. It's really well done. The cinematography is great in this. There's just, it's, it's a well done movie for what seems like should just be a simple remake I really think this director and the writing and, and the performance by Moss really elevates this movie to the next level. As I said, it's it's my number one movie so far in 2020. I give it an 8.5 out of 10. Nice. I, I, can I ask one more question about it or do we need to move on? You can ask. It's fine. All right. So like with the Invisible Man adaptations that we get, usually the Invisible Man uh, stories, when it's like done on film and TV, there's a lot of special effects that have to go into it. I mean, the original one, I think with 1933 with Claude Rains as the invisible man. Um, like that movie is, is famous for it's like special effects for the time, like and how they did that. So whenever there's an invisible man movie, special effects always plays a key part and not just like, like telling the story, but drawing like audiences in like, Whoa, like this just looks so cool. Like something invisible. Um, how were the special effects in this? I mean, they're good, but on, quite honestly, and maybe this is another reason why it feels so, you know, grounded and, and cool to me is there's not a lot of special effects in this. I mean, he, he's the invisible man himself. Adrian Griffin is not on screen very often because he's invisible. And the moments when he is, you sort of see just like these flashes of like a black suit that he's wearing. So I suppose there's a little bit of special effects there. But honestly, special effects are used very sparingly in this movie. And it's a lot more practical effects, which outside of, you know, the suit flickering on and off. Um, so... To answer your question, I wouldn't say this movie relies on special effects that much, which is maybe why maybe another reason why it is elevated, because it feels more grounded. That's that's pretty cool. That yeah. that makes me really want to see it now. I remember yeah, I, I would definitely advise checking it out. That's The Invisible Man. Uh, I think you can get it on digital and DVD right now. So let's power ahead, Mike. Uh, we've got uh, a, about 15 minutes here to discuss a movie. Uh, the one title we're going to discuss today uh, that we've both seen, and it's another HBO Max movie. I think it's the first movie that was made uh, and created specifically for HBO Max. And it is called In the American Pickle. And it uh, it stars uh, directed by Brandon Trost in his uh, solo directorial debut. An immigrant worker at a pickle factory is accidentally preserved for 100 years and wakes up in modern-day Brooklyn. Seth Rogen plays a dual role in this as Herschel Greenbaum and Ben Greenbaum. Sarah Snook, again, uh, plays Sarah Greenbaum. She's about the only other uh, person who has any sort of a <laughs> any sort of a memorable role or a, a significant role in this movie. It really is Seth Rogen's show. Um, so American Pickle... Super original idea here. Uh, Seth Rogen playing two separate roles. Mike, uh, what are some of your initial thoughts on an American pickle? Um, I thought that like the whole premise is very absurd, but it does it in such a self-aware way that like it makes it actually really funny. So when they're trying to explain like scientists are explaining why like this man survived being pickled for so long. The way they do it is so like meta funny and such a good commentary on how ridiculous it is. It actually makes it funny. So right off the bat, like it had a really kind of funny um, 
kind of nod to itself there that set you off on like that. Okay, like this is this can this can be amusing. Yeah, um, I mean, the movie has the movie has so many plot holes and it that it doesn't even bother to explain, nor does it care to explain. Like it yeah. it it just like you saying the self aware just it openly acknowledges that like. Well, how did he stay alive? Scientists explain how he stayed alive, or like uh, I, I woo girl, and all of a sudden they're in love. They're, it's not concerned with explaining these things, you know. Uh, um, you know, it's it's just constantly, or or at the end, you know, like when uh, when he's being charged uh, with the crimes and Ben is getting deported, they're just like this throw this case out immediately and everyone's just like oh okay the case is over you know like there's just these like plot holes that if we're looking at a movie from a normal critical standpoint you'd be like well what the hell is this that's just lazy writing but because it does it so consistently throughout the film uh i think it works on a certain level yeah um i i thought like i admit i'm not really a huge seth rogan fan but i thought he did a great job of like really delivering two performances that were both very distinct and very like good actually like his his <laughs> okay like when he's Herschel he's basically just doing Seth Rogen as Topol doing Tevia like it's basically <laughs> what he's doing but it works and he actually does a pretty good job at it um yeah. and he does like make you realize like how there are like major historical distinctions in the generations and like the, kind of that contrast of history, like, you know, going to the graveyard where he prays to grieve and then the other one looks at a like cute buzz BuzzFeed list to try to like take his mind off. It. It's like both of these yeah. guys are grieving, but <laughs> as different generations, they're finding different ways to express the grief. And there was actually little like historical cues throughout the movie that actually kind of were very smart. Um, overall, the movie was it was simple, um, but it was done in a sweet way. And it was pretty enjoyable. And yes, it will make you want to go eat a pickle. Like I did pause the movie at one point and walked downstairs and described a pickle out of my fridge. Like, all right, I got this need a pickle. Because you watch you see all these pickles like and you just, on them. pickles are great. Uh, I love pickles. Is anyone, are you a pickle fan, champ? You like pickles? I have become a pickle fan in like the last year. I don't know what happened. My taste buds like decided that they suddenly like pickles. But did you go? To, I, did you go to Chicago and have a couple like pickles when you were at like one of the games or something? I don't know what happened. I think I just matured, Mike. I think I'm just maturing every you matured. day. You, yeah. yeah, you you matured into a pickle. That line when he's like, you, he goes, "I have knowledge of pickling. I was myself a pickle." Like I yeah. literally just laughed out loud. I was like, okay, that that was funny. Oh, that dude, if we're gonna if we're gonna jump right into the quoting, I'm down with that. I mean, yeah, I was <laughs> myself. I pickle. He's like, <laughs> he's like, Ben Greenbaum, 25 pair of sock. <laughs> and he's like, tell me about the murder. Be very specific. Look on their faces. Were they bound over in pain? Was it a murder or regular death? <laughs> it was so funny. Somebody's, or when, the one guy who's like, uh, Kevin, look, artisanal pickles. <laughs> I'm just, like, I'm yeah, just like, I hate that, that one... person. I hate that. That was person. amazing in the way the way they did a little commentaries on like, you know, that kind of like culture in New York that sees it as very authentic and yeah. um that was that was actually pretty funny. Like hipstery yeah. and trendy and then it becomes like a whole thing because they think he's so cute and yeah. a lot of commentary this, on things. Yeah, this movie was in no way like a genius, like groundbreaking comedy, but it was it was simple, it was sweet, and you had a laugh and it did its job. So I, I gave it a good, uh, I gave it a B. I, I enjoyed it. And 
yeah, I think anyone would just would need a chill evening with a laugh. This is the movie for you. Yeah, I mean, I thought Rogan, again, you said it, I think he's shined in the dual role. I Like you said, Ben and Herschel both have very distinct personalities. At the start, it feels like Seth Rogen's doing like a like an SNL skit or something. And then when he gets to the modern day, like normal Seth Rogen shows up like with the, you know, like just like the, Oh look, it's normal Seth Rogen. And then they just kind of, you know, are constantly going at each other. I thought the film did a great job um, with the sort with the, the fish out of water shtick. You know, yeah. I thought it because mm-hmm. we see a lot of movies try and do this. I think the film, you know, did it really well with sort of like his amazement with the seltzer, or when he's like, holy shit, what is this cab? Or listening to the music or when he's just disgusted by the the Cossack uh, billboard. Like just sort of the, like you mentioned, the divide between the generations. I think the movie did it really well uh, to sort of, you know, juxtapose. Uh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Screw that. Well, he was I don't know if he was as much a fish out of water as a pickle out of vinegar. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a couple critiques. Uh, did you feel like the riff between them happens a little bit too quick? Like uh, when they when they sort of like it seems like I did like how it sort of subverted your expectations where you think these two guys are going to be best buds. and Then they become like mortal enemies, but it seemed like it was just kind of like a flip the switch. And maybe that goes back to the, you know, the, we don't care about the plot holes thing. Yeah. I, I did think sometimes that went a little too fast. I was also kind of surprised at how I expected the modern day, uh, you know, air to be a little bit more, um, like problematic or maybe a little bit more troubled or, but he was just like a normal nice guy who had his own like apartment in a very expensive part of town and was like doing his job. He could freelance. I was like, Oh, this is a stable, normal person. Um, I kind of, I kind of expected him him to be a little bit more. At least on the surface, he's kind of emotionally a wreck. Well, Ben is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not necessarily fully mature, but he wasn't like a, like down in his luck, like silly kind of out of control guy, which I think would have maybe made it a little bit more enjoyable to watch them clash off each other more. But uh, yeah. Yeah. But he's portrayed as he's portrayed as like, you know, a a lonely guy who doesn't have a ton of friends. Who's thrown all his, he's grieving and he's thrown all his time into this app. And uh, you know, he kind of learns to come out of his shell and maybe, you know, not be afraid to care about people again through his relationship with Herschel, which, you know, gives the movie a little bit of heart that I think it needs. Um, yeah. Just I like I love the little opening when he's telling the story of how he became a pickle. I thought that was like really fun. Like and then, the you know, the American pickle title screen comes on. I thought it was a fun little opening. It sets you up for a fun idea. And when I see that, like I'm excited for what comes next. Right. Like you see it and you're like, OK. I'm into this. I can watch this. And I think that's important. It's an original idea. And then you watch when it does flash forward the hundred years. One thing I noted definitely when they do the, uh, the hyperlapse of like the, the years going by and we see the twin towers go up and then go down. Did you, oh, did yeah, you notice that, that? Yeah, I did notice that that was a little, uh, like, yeah. Oh, Whoa, that just yeah. got real. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. Damn. So, uh, just a little, little note there, but yeah, I agree this movie, you know, uh, I hated the portrayal of media. I know we're, we're both journalists. We love to talk about this, how like, it's pretty doubtful that Ben's arrest would get reported in New York city. 
something that small or the fact that his Ben's acquaintance would be like investing in the pickle guy. Highly doubt that would be uh, a story in the media or the fact that the trials being shown on live television and the case is just like dismissed in instance. It's just, you know, whatever. It's just a minor gripe. It's a stupid little fun comedy, but you know, I just hate when the media is portrayed so unrealistically. Yeah, and I, I, <laughs> I will also like. I was wondering, you know, we're watching a movie called American Pickle. Like, there's so many movies that just have the title like Americans, like American Hustle, American Sniper, American Beauty, like American Psycho. Like, we're at the point now where we're like just picking foods, like American Pickle. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we got American Pie, so we've already we're already yeah. in the food genre, but. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious as to what other American food-based movies will be coming out. <laughs> An but American yeah. falafel. No. What'd you? I, I give this a B. What'd you give it? Oh, seven point five. I thought it was pretty good. I, I quite liked it actually, and I laughed out loud a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend checking out American Pickle. Uh, anyways, that's going to do it for our episode here today on August 20th. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Mike, anything else you want to say before we sign off here? Um, let us know what you guys want us to watch. I mean, we're kind of like going through old stuff now just because, uh, there's not a lot of new stuff is coming out. So we are like watching older stuff. Like I'm going through leftovers. Um, let us know if there's older stuff you'd like us to review. Um, I know I've gone through some other stuff like, trial by media i went through the michelle obama documentary late night the jeffrey epstein documentary that came out there's a lot of stuff we have seen we just haven't really had like the chance to go over yet but if there is more older stuff you would like us to go back and review um let us know because for sure uh, we need stuff to watch yeah and mulan is hitting disney plus here pretty soon so we'll look forward to reviewing that um and hopefully get evan back on if he's not too busy you know waiting in croc infested waters down there in uh, South Florida. So uh, check out the Facebook page at second day film podcast. Follow us on Twitter at second day film, the old episodes, SoundCloud, Apple podcast, uh, Spotify. Um, and yeah, check them out. Give us a rating or review. If you can, we appreciate you so much for listening here today. We will see you next time on the second day film podcast. And for Mike Nichols, I'm Brandon champion and we'll see you at the movies.